0: let's start with the the indus script itself in this talk you will understand what the indus script is what its history in terms of the decipherment and uh, everything else that has gone into it uh, how i deciphered it uh, we will look at some interesting uh, inscriptions we will uh, uh, hopefully you will get a good idea why this uh, d- decipherment is the, the correctness of the decipherment and what what are the implications of the decipherment what it means so let's start the indus script is um, essentially the earliest inscription is the one you see here in the uh, top right here this is on a shard of pottery and this has been dated to 3500 bc so this is the earliest form of writing if you look at uh, the other forms of writing china is uh, 1200 bc egypt is 2800 bc mesopotamia is 3000 bc when the actual writing started they had pre writing which was essentially a person uh, r- noting something for only his purpose but the writing as a as a society is something where one person can write something and someone else from some other part can easily read it so so as far as those dates are concerned indus writing is the oldest If you look at the letters, they're already advanced. In this 3500 chart, it is already abstracted, which means that the writing probably started much earlier and based on Phoenician writing, the evolution of writing in uh, in the Middle Eastern Semitic scripts, this would mean that the early writing actually was probably invented around 4,000 BC. Uh, This writing lasted for a long time. It lasted uh, up to 50 CE. Uh, that is 50 years after uh, the new era in megalithic sites in south india so uh, when you say there's induscript you know i'd like to say induscript is everywhere it's not just in saraswati valley it was also found in um, sanur in tamil nadu in a megalithic site it's found in many megalithic sites this is just a, a example i have uh, put here kizadi uh, recently we found both Indus signs and uh, Brahmi in the in the same site in 600 BC, and Chandraketugar in West Bengal uh, we see coins uh, from 300 BC. So those symbols on the coins are Indus uh, symbols. In Qutub Minar we find uh, Indus scripts. In uh, Western Iran, in a site we find uh, Indus scripts, and also in uh, Dwarka we find th- these inscriptions. So this is this script was very widely used. Uh, in a large region from Iran to Saraswati Valley to Bengal and all the way south to Kiladi, which is uh, in southern India. So, what is the Indus script problem? This script has been undeciphered for more than 100 years. And many people say that it's the most deciphered script and with the most number of uh, languages. It has been deciphered as uh, Tamil, Sanskrit. Uh, some people have tried to decipher it as a middle eastern language and recently somebody deciphered it as japanese so uh, just because someone deciphered it it doesn't give any kind of uh, satisfaction that that it is the right one it is because all decipherments are non-falsifiable so someone just shows a a, you know decipherment and said hey i figured it out so there is no way to verify it Decipherments also cannot be reproduced, like someone else cannot trace the path of a decipherment and recreate them. The other issue is that the classifications of the signs, they have, you know, various people have classified it between 360 and 720 signs. So, Parpola has about 365, 370, something like that, signs, and Epigraphica has about 720 signs but in reality there are about 100 base signs and there are many composite signs which means you know two or more signs combined to create other signs so it all depends on how uh, someone has classified them so this is an example of what the is the state of the decipherment uh, what looks today this is uh parpola and he deciphered it as tamil uh, and if you see he he the his longest uh deciphered inscriptions are only two letters long and he's deciphered about 24 and uh, it's very arbitrary this uh, double circle he calls it as rings or bangles and uh, the three strokes uh, the three you know line strokes he calls them a heart uh, and uh, he uh, you know he uh, interprets it, it as pregnancy bangles it's very arbitrary uh, i could for example um, interpret it as nuts and three knots and squirrel little knots. It, it wouldn't, my uh, interpretation wouldn't be any better or worse than his. So this is essentially the state of uh, most uh, decipherments which are, uh, try to claim the decipherment is uh, logographic. Uh, this is S. R. Rau. he's an archeologist. He deciphered it as, as uh Sanskrit and the way he did that was he looked at all the signs. He looked at similar signs in Semitic scripts, and he got about 15, 20 Semitic scripts, uh, symbols that look some are similar and it gets the rest. This enabled him to decipher much longer um, scripts if you can see there are five, six uh, symbols, uh, but still there are a lot of symbols that are undeciphered. Uh, so what is our approach to decipherment one is we analyze the script we try to figure out how to uh, what uh, what's the way to decipher it and we find a proven and easy to understand method to decipher it so the the key is i I didn't want to do a something that is my own method because then i have to kind of prove the method Uh, i wanted something that is well established and uh, there wouldn't be a lot of questions around it the other criteria was that i wanted it to be easy to understand for people The decipherment I wanted it to be falsifiable so science is uh, essentially a set of falsifiable statements and if it's non falsifiable like if you saw Parpolos thing, then people will simply uh, you know anyone can just randomly create those things, it it has no scientific value, so I wanted something that is uh, someone could falsify. So let's go to scripts. Um, if you look at the kinds of scripts that exist, broadly they are in three. There are three types. One is the first is logographic, which is Chinese. This is a random tweet you know on Weibo, which is the Chinese equivalent of Twitter. I just copied the Chinese, and that is essentially it. Looks like this. You rarely see any repeated characters because every sign is a word. And in Chinese, for example, a single symbol is a word. As you can see here, the first symbol at the bottom here is, is Ren, which is a person. The second is Mu, which is wood. And the third, uh, you know, if you want to, to, to take a second to guess what it is, uh, go ahead. It's actually horse. And until I told you it's a horse, you probably you couldn't guess it. But after I tell you it's a horse, you can kind of say, oh yeah, it has four legs, it has a, you know, hoof, whatever. So the, the point is, it's very hard to guess what a symbol is based on an abstract uh, rendition of it. So, you know, in, in many uh, Indus decipherments, you will see people saying, oh, this is a hoof. This is, a, you know, something else. This is a nut, this is a bangle. And from that, they do try to do a rebus. Uh, and because they're, they're, there is no way to determine their first guess itself is correct. Their rest of the decipherment essentially is based on this first guess, which, for you know, in all probability, is completely wrong. The second kind of script is a syllabic, and this is actually linear B. I've translated this exact tweet into Greek and I've rendered it in linear B. Linear B was a script found in a Greek island, and in the beginning, they uh, all the scholars were pretty adamant that this cannot be Greek because of their hypothesis that Greeks were invaders and, uh, you know, it, it, they brought the Greek language and the original language of that region cannot be Greek. Uh, but then uh, it was deciphered to be Greek based on uh, one of the words that was only found on the, that island. And the, it, it was a non-expert who guessed that this must be the name of the island. And from that guess of those two, two or three letters, they were able to decipher the rest of the, the, the rest of the script. So linear B, uh, a syllabic script, essentially, as you can see in the central section here, has a symbol for a combination of a consonant and a vowel. So for example, here we have five in the, in the center here, which is a, a da, de, di do, do, and they, uh, you know, you cannot really guess that just by looking at it, what syllable it stands for. Uh, and the last is uh, you know segmental or alphabetic, and I have translated the same tweet into English. And what you see here is that there are a lot of overlaps. Uh, there, so there are a lot of repetitions of symbols. It is very very easy to see, like in memorize, there are two M's in will, there are two L's, and so on. It's uh, uh, you also. It's kind of obvious. The Latin alphabet abjads; these are all considered segmental. So in both segmental and syllabic, you find common letters, you find common endings. So, uh, you know, here in, I highlighted in red, in the syllabic, uh, that actually stands for sa, and the Greek usually has a lot of words that end in s or os. Uh, And of course, um, linear uh, B doesn't have a symbol for just s, it only has for sa. So when you write it down, you write it as sa. Of course you see other symbols as well that have that are repeating i mean if you you could just glance at it if you just glance your eye on it and you could see that symbols repeat a lot now although these these are three you know high level groups it is very normal to see repetitions of symbols in syllabic and segmental and um, when you know for example in uh, the linear b you see the letter s which is highlighted here it is uh, sir. So. And um, it exists because there is no word for si, you have to use sa and that you see a uh, common endings uh, in syllabic because many languages tend to have endings in uh, certain common endings. In many languages, in many scripts, you don't have, you occasionally will have a combination of these. So logographic will ha- essentially have syllabic markers. So Chinese really is logosyllabic. Uh, Japanese, for example, uses Chinese uh, letters, they call them kanji, and they also have, uh, you know, Roman letters, uh, they write letters in Roman, it's called Romaji. Uh, Japanese itself has two entirely different systems of syllabic. Uh, In uh, alphabetic systems, you can use an emoji that you can consider as a logographic uh, character. So there is no, you know, there's there's occasionally you will find some signs in writing that are not purely uh, either syllabic segmental or logographic so that's that's normal so let's move on to the next slide here if you look at Indus script, it's very clear there are a lot of repetitions you can easily see the fish sign you can see the square and uh, two um, numeric markers here that are you know that are repeating in many slides uh, in many inscriptions so it is um, very clearly, it is either syllabic or segmental, it is unlikely to be logographic. Logographic is essentially, if you look at logographic, you have a large number of symbols. You have, Chinese has 6,000 uh, basic symbols. It has over 40,000 uh, you know, actual symbols. Uh, Mayan language has 1,250 or so symbols. Uh, you cannot really create a logographic Language with as few as you know, hundred to three hundred symbols. So this is why a lot of the symbol classifications tries to uh, stretch the symbol count to seven hundred or more, and so that they can try to analyze it as a logographic. In segmental, you usually have very few, around twenty to thirty. For example, the Cyrillic alphabet is thirty-three. In syllabic uh you can have essentially it, it is a matrix of uh, vowels and consonants so if you have 10 consonants and five vowels it's about 50. so uh when you when now when we look at this it's very unlikely that this script is uh, logographic it is a uh, syllabic or segmental uh, and how do you decipher a message that is just symbols so the- such messages are called cryptograms and people solve thousands of these every day so these are actual screenshots from twitter of people creating and solving uh, cryptograms so if you see uh here you know they have someone has uh, solved this welcome to moonwood mill and based on the pattern of o's they have figured it as uh, moonwood if you look at the dictionary and try to find a word where the second third and the you know the uh, two just before the last are uh, are the same letter you actually find only one word it's cookbook Uh, but based on all the uh, characters uh, you know the uh, people can figure out what they stand for this is called a cryptogram and uh, this is a very well understood you know fun it's like uh, you have crosswords and uh, so on in the newspapers you also get cryptograms now, although this this is how cryptograms, uh, you know, can, can use any symbols, what usually happens is in newspapers and so on, they, they don't create their own symbols; they just use a rearranged alphabet. But the uh, the problem is just the same. It's just uh, it's a lot easier to just rearrange an existing alphabet or use numbers or so on. Typically, in a cryptogram, it's a quote by a famous person. This example, this is from Ralph Waldo, Waldo Emerson. And uh, so this is the cryptogram. The black is the actual puzzle. The blue is the solution. Now, how do you solve this? A lot of this is solved by trial and error. Uh, you know, people look at the short words and try to guess. It's it could be a e's b two, and so on. And then you know, there there are ways to solve it. Uh, most uh, people who use regular expressions, what they do is they find a unique uh, pattern. In this example, I'm going to pick this word millennium. And uh, I'm going to pick this, you know, BBRR, you know, it's a double repetition in a word and I can try to solve it using something called a regular expression. So people who are not in the uh, programming world, uh, uh, you know, for for their benefit, I'm just going to explain what a regular expression is. It's essentially a pattern of letters where you can capture the position of each letter and you can refer to it. So here, uh, the dot, dot, dot here in parentheses become one, two, three. And here when i do backslash three it just says i'm repeating this letter so here if you see L O am repeating the second b here and so on here in all the way to slash one which is the same as the letter l and i am looking at it up here in the uh, cornucopia dictionary cc dot text is uh, cornucopia dictionary and i see that there's only one word that matches it and it's melanin so once i uh, decipher this I can look at all the characters, all the words, which have only one letter missing. So for example, here, B H N. if I do the similar analysis and I find this is let, so N is T, then I can go to here and put the T and now I just have to guess X. And then I could guess this as minutes. So this QX becomes as and so on. So this is how you do it. This is, uh, this has been, uh, in the pub, you know, this is public domain since I think at least ten years. In the Perl community, Perl is the programming language for text manipulation. This has been known for over uh, you know ten years. So now, the the reason I chose this is because a long cryptogram, more than hundred years, hundred uh, letters, is considered unsolvable in two different ways. So you cannot take this and solve it in a different way. Like you cannot use uh, get some other message out of this, anything meaningful. Even meaningless, you cannot get, you cannot, you cannot find other words that fit this for the same um, values of the symbols. It's just, it's just a uh, highly improbable. Now let's try to uh, see how you would do it with short words, because in, uh, in the scripts you have, uh, you know, you don't know where the word boundaries are, there's no spacing. So uh, we will try to solve this in our own made up cryptogram. So here you have these two words and uh, they have you know you know the first two symbols here and the first two symbols in the second one you're trying to find the value of the anchor symbol so the way you would do that is you would uh, use the regular expressions and find what matches uh, this pattern so the two words that match t and h are, are the and die and the four words that match a and n are these so that means this Anchor symbol must be the intersection of these two sets e and y and a d t y and that happens to be y, so you have deciphered it as any and die so this this is essentially it it very is very simple uh, now what happens if this intersection doesn't produce a unique value? well, you need to get one more you know one more piece and then do an intersection over and over and over again. so this is the formalization as i said this is a Pre existing uh, technique. This is not something I've invented, but I've just written it formally. The only difference is here, instead of the dot, which represents one letter, we are doing dot plus, which means we are taking a whole string of letters. This will enable us to capture both uh, segmental, syllabic, and occasional logographic characters. So it won't matter to us what kind of script it is, as long as it's not purely logographic. So if you look at the signs, you can see that the signs have evolved over 1500 years. So from starting from 3500 to around 1900 BC, and you can see the abstraction, you know, so it gets more and more abstract. Initially it's, they took a lot of effort to make it very detailed, to look like an an animal, as a horse in this case. And as time passes, they make it more and more abstract. And eventually it doesn't even look like a horse so now when industry people try to the, the scholars who try to solve it try to classify it it is very arbitrary so for example all of these are considered the same symbol and uh, the the real issue is that every rendition every uh, instance of a symbol is hand carved and it's as unique as every person's handwriting so it is very uh, you know there is no real way to uh, be objective over it because it's not a print it's not a printed uh, system and if you look at Parpola's classification you know the number 81 the second symbol and the fifth symbol and the last symbol he considers them all the same but he considers the second symbol in 80 different from the last symbol in 81 which is very odd because they only differ in the curvature of the last two legs you know the the ends of the last two legs so he focuses uh he gives more weightage to that rather than everything else here so um, now are they really different if you look at modern writing uh, if you look at the different kinds of a's you can write here highlighted in red on the on the left side you can write it in many ways and your brain automatically figures out what this letter is so uh, you know a, a curvature at the bottom it doesn't actually you you don't really give way to it human cognition essentially looks at the whole shape uh, and uh, you know gives a uh, uses that as a symbol so in in our example here the symbols from 286 to 304 they're essentially the same symbol because they have the same kind of decoration so you know they they have a little Numeric stroke, you know, uh, or two strokes or three strokes, and uh, or, or none as in a uh, 301, and the same way about here. And that is unique to this uh, particular shape. So we can uh, classify it as the same symbol. But in reality, you don't want to uh, uh, do do the real classification until after you decipher it. You can use things that are very close as a, a symbol and you can bank on the fact that if you look at these symbols here on the top right that there is so much freedom for the uh, for indus uh, uh, you know uh, inscriptions to create signs uh, you know they have created so many signs that they don't have to worry about uh, creating unique signs based on tiny variations so they uh, the signs themselves are designed to be they have a lot of freedom in uh, rendition in, in individual instances so uh, you know it is obvious that 80 uh, you know the first and the last signs are so different yet they are the same because they don't have to focus on little things like a line here and a line there now what if the sign identifications are wrong what if you know there is something like a c and g that look kind of same but they really are different and what if the signs that look different are really the same like this this a and the, the this uh, script a uh, and what if one of the signs is deciphered incorrectly? You, you see how in our system, we are deciphering one sign and then using the decipher to decipher the other sign. What happens if one of them is deciphering incorrectly? So in in the cryptogram method, what will happen is the regular expression will stop matching and your decipherment will hit a dead end and you have to restart from uh, from scratch. So it is a self-correcting method. If something is wrong, it will simply not go anywhere. You will not get any matches in the dictionary. So imagine in the word millennium, you change one of the letters and try to match it. You will get zero results. That's basically what happens. Now, what language to try? What language could it be? You have to guess the language. So all of this works if you know what the language is. So the, the right thing to do is try all languages and see whatever is right, it'll fit. So uh, what languages did ancient India have? It had uh, Sanskrit, it had some form of the Although we say Old Tamil, it, it really uh, could be closer to Tulu, which is a language in uh, karnataka nihali which is uh, isolate. it's unlikely uh, isolate is a language but uh, is a language of such a large area so but you could try that burushaski is also an isolate in the mountains in the himalayas these are the only language groups in uh, india that are native the other languages uh, munda and all came later in orissa and so on so how do we do that? We start with two signs, and you know, just like in a cryptogram, you have to guess a couple of signs. There are various ways to guess it. Could be brute force, could be just uh, you know trial and error. And I have guessed it. It's in my paper. My reasoning for guessing. It doesn't matter how you guess it because if you're wrong, you you'll just have to restart it. So uh, we start with this, and we go one by one. And this is how we proceed. So for example, here. Using the the and the and using these three uh, inscriptions, we figure out that this sign is un. And now you have the un and the the and the. You can figure out that the the person symbol actually is a. Now you have a and the. You can figure out this uh, symbol is e, and so on. So you can proceed like that, and you uh, do it one by one. The key is that you should not. You should only use the previously deciphered signs. To decipher new sign if you see an any number here that is greater than the next one then it's a circular reference such a, a decipherment is not valid so uh, what you see is over 1500 years a lot of uh, changes happen to individual signs rotation is very common it is because the inscriptions need to conserve horizontal space so the uh, some symbols get rotated and in this particular case even for vertical space it got uh, the the neck got rotated Uh, they get abstracted so this is an elephant head this tusk and trunk and the head and the ears of the elephant over time they get abstracted to just the trunk and uh, tusks so how do we know these are all the same we simply uh, determine them we screw them individually so here is the actual uh, unabstracted portion and then uh, you know, every stage we try to solve it. And when we line them up together, you kind of see uh, the that it has abstracted over time. So once you have the symbol, we can look up the dictionary and try to find a word that starts with that letter that kind of looks like that shape. And these are the things I have found that kind of look like it. There, in some cases, there's uh, more than one word, like for fish, there is Mina as well. Uh, but in many other cases uh, you know this is the only obvious word for it now if you try to arrange them instead of the order by which we decipher it if you arrange it by the sound itself this is what you see and uh, for the same sound what you see is that the words are very very close so for the you know shash with drum becomes tadula then tandula, and then thala. so this uh, and similarly for Bhakshatra, Bhakshapatra and Bhakshatra and Madaramasta, which is elephant head, eventually becomes Mastya and then Maya, which is horse. So apparently what's happened is that these symbols have been orally transmitted and they, got, they get a little mutated. They get a little changed. And that is why you have so, so many symbols. And the base symbols turn out to be only 81. And then there are uh, uh, compos- composites. Composites essentially are read as it's a. It it started as a space saving mechanism because there's not a lot of horizontal space. So they started writing it uh, one below the other. And you just read it as two symbols. It's, it's very simple to read a, uh, uh composite symbols. So some symbols are decorated. Uh, you know, like we saw this uh these line strokes. And usually it's uh, three or four line strokes. This is the most, uh, one to four line strokes. This is the most uh, common way of decoration. And uh, what they do is, uh, what it does is these are found typically at the beginning of the inscriptions. And this is a way to indicate that the inscription is read from either left to right or right to left. Uh, Most of these, almost all of these are on the right side, which is the first symbol and occasionally they're in the center. And at that time it is a word boundary marker. So once you have the symbols, once we decipher all the symbols, if you you may have already seen that the some of the symbol, signs are very close to the Brahmi symbols. So if you arrange them by the same sounds, not by the way the symbols look, but just by the way, uh, you know, this girl is, a uh, the Gulf for Brahmi. This is the Jeff for Brahmi, in uh, you know, old Brahmi, and these are the on the right bottom right. These are the symbols for Indus. If you just arrange them, this is what you see. And what you see is pretty much every symbol is not even a derivation. It's almost an exact symbol from Brahmi, uh, from Indus. All Brahmi symbols, except you know the E here, seem to have come directly uh, from Indus. So now let's look at some uh, interesting inscriptions. So this is the longest inscription. This is a copper plate found in um what's today Pakistan, but it's in uh, the Indus region. It's the longest script. When we transcribe it, you essentially what you get is uh words in uh Ushnik four meter. Uh Ushnik four is a post-Ragvedic meter. Uh Ragvedic actually, so any 28-letter shlok you know words can be ushnik uh, but the usually it is uh the 74 doesn't appear in vedas it appears post vedas in the puranic times so uh so this is what you see it's it's essentially a um, prayer to soma soma and sun the second one you see here below is the longest seal this has uh around 27 signs and this happens to be a meter in a variant of Gayatri. it's six into three it's a, a prayer to uh, the sun dolavira sign word the normal rendition of this is uh, flipped, but this is the actual uh, is the correct way to read it it's read from uh, right to left and it essentially says uh raka vararaka araras which means a diamond gem entrance. So the raka is a vararaka is a diamond raka is a, a crystal So you could just call it diamond entrance uh, but this is this is what it is this is a magala coin and uh, you could read this as rayaka which is a synonym of ravaka which represents a weight of 1.2 grams magala coins is uh, its weight is about three rayakas Uh, there's no inscription here but there's a picture of black book and uh as you guys probably are aware the region where the uh, black buck roms is known as the uh, the land fit for sacrificial act so apparently the indus people were you know even in those days this um, uh this sentiment was there so this is uh essentially usha tamra which is a coppery red dawn I just uh, is not, uh, you know, the it's very, it's a very beautifully carved uh, rhinoceros. And uh, one of the signs we have in one of the scenes we have in uh, uh, great detail and color. Uh, So this particular inscription has a chariot with spoke wheels on a yoke. So uh, the the, it reads Rai, but the more important thing here is the fact that a spoke chariot with the yoke was very very old. Uh, this is some sometime around 2500 BC. Uh, this thread reads uh, a uh, pani Dharana, essentially wedding. So they, the that concept of uh, pani Dharana as wedding existed back in around you know between uh, around 2500 BC. This reads uh, the, on the left it reads yajas, which is uh, the word for yajnam and on the right uh, shashamani, which is essentially uh, shashamana is uh, person is performing the Yajna and Shashamani is the deity that's been worshipped in the Yajna. Uh, this is the famous uh, uh, Pashupati seal. And it reads uh, asha-sana-mana, which means prayer of uh, the animal sacrifice. So uh, this uh, this essentially seems to be associated with the Ashwameda Yajna, where all these animals are sacrificed. Uh, now this is a, this is a look at uh, various uh, symbols used in uh, in the script and a lot of them seem to be inspired by the altars vedic altars so this is the falcon altar and this name of the symbol is shashada which is a falcon this is uh Udbhata, which is a turtle and uh, so on this is chakra and you know this, this is called ratha chakra anyway so uh, there seems to be they have borrowed these because they uh, you know they that's what they're familiar with that's what is recognizable so there are a lot of uh indian deities mentioned in the inscriptions uh, so the left is uh it says ravi riva which is sun shiva which could mean sun is shiva on the right is uh, it's just a long inscription it's essentially it mentions the sun and uh indra uh, varana is a uh, name for indra uh, name for vishnu also exists shasana uh, like vishnu exists as a protector of the sacrifice and so on so now we've seen all this the question is, you know, how, how do you know it's correct? The successfully being able to read so many inscriptions itself is proof of uh, it should be sufficient proof of correct decryption. But if you look at the probability of a single pair of signs giving a two-syllable word everywhere, it's only it's thirty-eight uh, percent. So if you uh, at the bottom here, if you look at hey, what how many words can I have next to occur? There are 11 words like a two syllable word and out of the total 29 uh, basic signs, when you divide it it comes to around it comes to 38 percent. and the probability of uh, two pairs is essentially the square of that the probability of n pairs is 0.38 to the power n uh, so when you have a lot of words when you when you deciphered around you know 500 letters it becomes infinitesimal small It becomes like a hash collision so one in one followed by 100 zeros something like that so when um, when you see a word like this some sharanagata seven symbols is very 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 unlikely to occur by randomly assigning variables so you saw um, the other decipherments only working with two symbols so finding something that seven symbols is extremely unlikely just even one word Uh, those are measurable probabilities these are unmeasurably small probabilities right so the, the fact that you can read 50 inscriptions is measurable to one in uh, you know 10 to the power of uh, uh, you know 100 but m- reading them meaningfully so that was just reading them as random words but this is reading them meaningfully in a one theme like you know it's a theme about uh you know it's a religious theme it's prayer to the sun and all this reading all of them in the same theme is unmeasurably small i cannot even measure how small this is you know it requires a expert in probability to figure that out and uh by the technique we have done getting a nearly 100 percent match between brahmi and this is again it's unmeasurably small probability. it cannot happen by design or accident and uh, the fact that you have something in meter when you you know did it sign by sign uh, and it resulted in a words in meter this is again very very tiny probability it's just unmeasurably small probability now I had some criticisms from people who read it and one of them they said is you know the syntaxes of the language is it doesn't have the right vibhakti uh, and so on uh, this is actually uh, they don't claim on the language Of 2600 BCE, based on their knowledge of 1500 BCE and 600 BCE uh, grammar. So, this this essentially is their own claim, it's not a criticism. And some, you know, there are some, um, before it was deciphered, people had claims over, you know, the frequency of this letter has to be this much and so on. Uh, Frequency changes over time. So, we know from the Bible over a thousand years, the frequency of letters has changed, new letters have come up, old letters have been dropped, and so on and that is not something you can do before a decipherment because they don't know which symbol represents what so for example has four symbols and if you count them as individual different symbols then any analysis analysis you do on that is, is pointless it, does, it doesn't have any value uh the one of the other criticisms i've said is well hey this sign actually is a different sign and, and again i said the same thing you cannot make that before decipherment it's all these are not uh, criticisms they're all uh, claims And uh, the method itself, as I said, it's uh, not my own it's already existent the actual decipher the step by step, you see the the where every sign is deciphered no one has made any. um, uh, You know uh, criticism or uh, refutations of those. So that's that's what the situation is. So uh, is this falsifiable so falsifiable is very important because that proves that something like this is a science. And something that you can uh, quote and build on for um, you know other new other uh, contributions so what anyone can do to falsify this is take another dictionary so i have taken the sanskrit dictionary but you can take any other dictionary english or arabic or uh, korean japanese anything and follow the same steps you can indeed follow the exact same sequence of symbols that i've solved and then try to create
1: similar. Um, I think, uh, yes,
0: Good explanation as to why there are allograms, so like we saw with Tandula and so on.
1: Yajna yes, uh, you your audio went off for uh, about a minute. Could you just repeat the last four, five lines again?
0: Sure so the way to refute this is very simple uh, take any other dictionary and try to re decipher the symbols in that language so you just need a dictionary and you need a weekend and you can try to prove that this actually you know this this doesn't work uh, i can create uh, something similar in a different language and uh, uh, in such a decipherment you should have values for uh, all the symbols you should have a good explanation for the allograms, which is, uh, you know, like you saw for th, you had tadula, tandula, and so on. You need a a good uh, explanation as to why all these symbols have the same sounds. You need to be able to read the longest fifteen inscriptions meaningfully, not just like donkey moon bark. It's you know, it has to be, uh, it has to be meaningful to the reader, uh, and. Uh, uh, you know, it would be good if the largest uh, inscriptions are in some kind of classical meter. If it's Arabic, it has to be in classical Arabic meter, uh, and so on. You know, religious. So essentially, something that looks like this, then uh, you know, then you can say it's falsified. Uh, and people have tried it; uh, they could not move beyond two or three signs in any other language. So uh, I'd just like to discuss the implications of this decipherment. Um, the first de- implication is that IE languages originated in the Indian subcontinent because we uh, know that this writing is invented around 4,000 BC. It's definitely attested from 3500 BC. So, so whatever happened in you know steps or wherever in 2000 BC, in, you know, it's irrelevant, uh, it doesn't uh, impact us anymore. Uh, we also see from the references to you know vedic concepts the deities and so on that the culture is continuous from uh, ivc whenever ivc was uh, reasonably urbanized I've, i'm putting a conservative date of the 7000 bc it could be earlier uh, we know harappan civilization is vedic related uh, and one more thing is uh, the in the derivation you guys really should read the paper for more details we cannot pack everything in here but the couple of symbols the un symbol the jar symbol it is essentially a proto-anuswara right and we see that in the kutub pillar inscription instead of pramsu it's written pransu so that usage of un as the anuswara instead of um existed I, until the time the you know Kuthub inscription was made, so you see a lot of attestations for the script in many places and uh, all of them are pretty much uh, you know they uh, support uh, this decipherment. So at this point, uh, I think we can open it for questions.
1: My question is actually with regard to what I feel is also might be a serious implication, the connections that you've drawn between the um, symbols that you have uh, seen and deciphered in this valley with Brahmi, that connection is actually, I feel, I'm, I'm not an expert, but I feel that might actually help also bridge this whole aryan dravidian divide issue. Uh, which tries to show aryan the north-south as separate and so on, rather than as, as uh, you know, simultaneous or uh, contiguous. So my question is, one, uh, have you done any additional work on this, on the on the Brahmi aspect? And two, what is the current research going on? Is there, uh, like in official circles, uh, you know, and by the official bodies and concerned uh, people, more work going on to decipher and to draw connections and linkages, um, so that we get a complete picture of our civilization.
0: All right uh, so uh, yeah the brahmi is um, so essentially brahmi is standardized indus uh, and as you saw in uh, kiladi the both uh, writing systems were involved and essentially what happened was the language changes so in the original indus language we believe that the uh, you know the aspirations and the unaspirated had not yet differentiated the retroflex had not differentiated and over time it differentiated and they had to standardize the symbols and give different uh, uh, values different signs for different values uh, and the so so that is as far as the industry brahmi is concerned i don't really see brahmi as anything other than standardizing symbols because they are exactly the same symbols except for like e and u everything else is exactly the same symbol Uh, Secondly, in terms of, uh, you know, uh, South India and so on, there is work being done by Igor Tonian Balayev, who posits that the the Dravidian branch, separated from Indo-European, very early, went to Central and South India, and then it re And that is why it is so similar in terms of phonology, grammar, the noun cases really everything the uh, even bo- you know uh, borrowings uh, so i think that is um, a lot of that has been kind of uh, has been given supporting evidence by my de- uh, decipherment i'm sure that more work will go on i will also be doing some work to look into that recently there's a lot of genetic evidence that supports this uh, this particular view so essentially just like you know say let's say canada uh, split into two or three dialects like uh, there's not karnataka and south karnataka so if that happens for a long time then you will see uh, differences so uh, language group itself is a very uh, long discussion i don't want to spend a lot of time on it but just to give a short summary language groups require a long long time of isolation more than 10000 years so we know that because of japanese and uh, North and South American languages. It took. Uh, it takes around twenty thousand years. So, Dravidian is not isolated long enough to be that different. That is why we find so many similarities. It's only been isolated for like four five thousand years. So, uh, it, I you know I wouldn't say that it's different. It's just a. Uh, it's just a different. It's just sufficiently different that you can try to make a claim. It's a different language but It's not. It's not really that. I'm sorry. I forgot your uh, second question. Is someone else doing research? Yes. Uh, a lot of, a lot of research is occurring on, uh, in the script. I don't believe that you can have any other value for any other letter than what I've done simply because it is probably correct. And if you change maybe the letters that don't have high frequency, there are some symbols that occur for, you know, five to five times, four times. Those you may be able to find a different value that still fits meaningfully. But anything that occurs 10 times, if you change it, uh, you try to use a different letter, um, most readings will break. They will either, you won't be able to create words or the words will become meaningless. It will be like dog, moon, bark. You know, it, it just it won't make any sense.
2: So you have two questions. The first one is that uh, you have guessed with this ta and da. So, I mean, how is that possible? And the thing is that, what about numbers? So, this very important point in SRO's yes, inscription, there were three things ananan that you that you de- deciphered as ananan but it could have been also 555 five, five or something like that, right? So it is so so the numbers are completely absent from this uh, decipherment. Uh, don't why is that? And the and the and the last question is a little bit technical. That 38%, how did you derive that? I probably missed it. But the more important question is what about numbers and how did you get the initial guess?
0: Okay, so numbers and uh, initial guess, these are your two questions. So uh, numbers, essentially, what we saw is that the numbers just use their first sound of the number. uh, And, you know, that's essentially what they did. And the way it evolved is that uh, when they started running out of space, they started trying to create symbols at the end of the inscriptions that can stand for uh, more complex sounds so for v they used uh, two marks which which is v is two in uh, Sanskrit and once they started that then for the sake of consistency they started using other uh, numeric signs to stand for their own uh, values have they uh, written any uh, things that are like numbers yes they, they do have aka uh, like there's, a, there's an inscription which says Dada Ekapad, which means gift of Shiva. And there they have Eka, but it's spelled out as A and Ka. Uh, that, that's the first one. Second, initial guesses. Uh, initial guess actually it's a, a pretty complicated thing. Uh, the first one is if you look at the uh, and the, they are essentially identical to Brahmi. So you can just guess based on that. And the initial case, as I said, doesn't matter. You could do it through brute force or anything else. But in the paper, what I've explained is there's a sign, there's an inscription that says "dada uh, dada danta," which is uh, thunder sand. You can read it as "dada danta." You can read it anyway uh, you want. It doesn't matter because all you need is a way to guess the first symbol. Okay uh so uh essentially that's what i've done and uh, ananan the reason i've done ananan is that it it is actually uh also a kind of um, a prayer it, it's actually a kind of uh, uh you know it sounds like something that someone would write as a laudatory thing uh, and the 38 percent essentially is if you look at if you look at the any random symbol and you give it any value and the chances of a neighboring symbol Matching a word, not a meaningful word, just a word, is simply the number of available words with that letter in that position, with the number of symbols. So if you divide them, so roughly it comes to around thirty-eight percent. So in some cases it's much less; it's five percent, two percent, one percent, and one or two places it is more. It can be forty or forty-one percent. But i you know, as a kind of a general measure, as a kind of a conservative measure, I've taken thirty-eight percent. So, uh, my first question is, have you made an attempt to reach out to academia, especially at least in India to get their
2: views on it because somehow, uh, I mean, this has to become mainstream and this is such a big, big, big breakthrough. Break, break and, uh, I had a second question about the Indo-European homeland. So how did you conclude from this decipherment that India is the Indo-European homeland, because that could still be further back in
0: time, right? So even if you're saying that 4,000 BC, we have these scripts, it could still further be back in say 6000 bc because that's the theory of max planck institute 6000 bc run so how did you conclude that yeah thanks yeah first about academia yes i have reached out to western academia and as i said their objections are essentially claims and uh, they have not actually apparently i was pretty disappointed they didn't actually read the paper or understood it they didn't uh, seem to understand what a cryptogram is, why the initial guesses can be, you know, brute force or arbitrary. Uh, they did not essentially find an issue with the decipherment, but they found an issue with things like, you know, why would they write this, you know, things like that. It's just completely essentially dictating how, what the industry should write and, uh, you know, they're upset that it's Sanskrit and, and they don't understand that, you know, you have to try every language and the language that fits is works so and these are prestigious journals and the reviewers didn't, didn't really seem to understand uh you know the paper itself so that that is one the second is uh, indian I think i will certainly uh, approach them because i'm not an academic i don't care about uh, academic glory or anything like that i just you know this is just a nice difficult problem for me to solve and once i've solved it i put it out there I, you know i i want to let the University, code. but we will try to promote this uh, among the people by creating, um, you know, automated uh, translations. Uh, you know, software that can automatically, automatically translate and so on. So because then it's it's pretty much obvious that it's a uh, it's a real discipline. Uh, and your other question was about um, homeland uh, and homeland. See, the homeland question really requires input from multiple streams of uh, multiple disciplines of science okay so linguistics is one and this is a very solid proof and this by itself I think is enough but there's also work being done on uh, DNA and it's uh, based on this David Wright's database of DNA and what it appears to be preliminary just want to say it's preliminary is that the migration into Europe took place from uh, BMAC Bacteria marginal uh, complex, and uh, uh, you know, we're still working on that. The you know, there's a team working on that. When I say we, it's not me, but there's a team working on that. And when once that becomes a little more mainstream, uh, maybe we can have another talk and uh, discuss those.
2: Naive questions, uh, if you might uh, forgive my naiveness, uh, one is uh, uh, uh um, um you talked about a few long inscriptions that you kind of like uh, deciphered is that the limited amount of long description uh, long inscriptions available in harappa uh do we have more that is kind of not accessible to you or uh or is, it, is that all so that's the first question the second uh question i have is in terms of language you know um Rami was used to write uh, not uh, just sanskrit but also other languages and all of that so in terms of language is is this uh, from this are you able to make out okay uh is are these inscriptions closer to uh, vedic uh, language or uh the later classical sanskrit language because i from this i'm not able to actually make out either so i just thought uh, i'll get your opinion on that
0: right all right so the number of inscriptions these are the longest the as i said the the first you know the, the first two are uh, long enough that they are actually verses and generally after that you have you know between you know 20 something to you know 10 uh, symbols and the top 50 are around uh after you cross the, the longest 50 it's it's around nine symbols nine signs per uh, inscription so we don't have a long uh, a lot of long inscriptions if we had long inscriptions it would have been a lot uh, you know it would be a lot simpler to decipher it but we have short inscriptions and the, fortunately because we have so many short inscriptions we can use the regular expressions method and uh, your second question is about brahmi uh, does it mean so a script can be used uh, you know with modifications for any language so you see, Kunae form was used for Greek. It was used for Semitic scripts. It was used for, uh, you know, Hittite. Uh, similarly, if you have Latin, it is used for European languages, both uh, Southern European and Northern European, and it's used in Vietnamese and so on. Uh, even for Turkish, now uses. Uh, so script doesn't imply that you know it's it's uh, from the same language family or anything like that. It's uh, just a technology and. Uh, People who don't have the technology will simply borrow the technology.
2: One thing I want to know, is there any study made uh, whether these uh, symbols uh, are quite matching with the other contemporary civilizations of that time? Is there any uh, similarity these symbols?
0: Right, no, there's for Indus symbols, I think there, there have been studies. Indus symbols are so varied There's uh you know you can find two or three symbols that match uh something in uh egyptian or something in uh, uh, Phoenician or something like that but in the semitic scripts most of the the number of symbols is only about 22 23 whereas in indus you have depending on the classification you have you know 100 to 700 you know depending on how you classify. classified so there is no real point in comparing it, but yes, uh, the, the basic geometric stuff you find everywhere, you know, line circle, uh, like something like a wheel, something like a fork, uh, those, those are very common things that all uh, you know populations will, uh, you know, use. So there is, um, so even for example, in linear B, you have that some symbols that look like, you know, in the symbols, but the, I don't think that is uh, in any way meaningful. So my question, concerns. First of all, a, uh, a pretty nice talk. Now, wh- why is it that we have so many uh, like distinct symbols for representing the same syllable? For example, for ka or k, you have given 15. For na, I can see there are 10. Now, in, in scripts that do have such a multiplicity, let's take, for example, the Sumerian cuneiform or the Egyptian hieroglyphs, That's because they used to be ideograms or pictograms, which then later uh, got adopted for their sound value. So, could we posit something similar for? um,
1: Right. Yeah, I already covered that.
0: Right. I already covered that in the talk. Essentially, the there are two forces here. One is the allograms themselves. The other is the variants of an allogram. The allograms occurred because the names of the allograms were transmitted orally and got mutated right so you know tardolia became Tardula, and tardolia is a drum Tardula is a a fighter or a warrior so that's why you have two uh, you know signs for it and then over time over 1500 years there are uh, you know the signs got more and more abstract so they became uh, different so that is why you have so many sounds for it and uh, some of the signs essentially got mirrored, okay? Because when you carve a, a seal, you are carving the mirror of it. And sometimes, if you forget to carve the uh, the mirrored image, if you forget to carve the mirrored image, then um, you know that 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 becomes another sign. So that is essentially how you got so many signs.
2: You mentioned in your talk the Semitic uh, family. Does it include the Aramaic and the Phoenician on which in the internet, it says the Brahmi script was modeled? And uh, the Indus Valley script and the Harappan script, are they co-terminus, are they referring to
0: the same script? Yeah, I couldn't follow the question completely. There's there's no relation between Semitic scripts and Indus script. Indus script precedes all the Semitic scripts by a few hundred years. I'm, I'm sorry. What's the what's the other question? See, the Aramaic
2: was the uh, language in which script and language in which the Bible was the first Bible was compiled. Right. Is the the uh, when you scroll browse the internet, it says Brahmi was modeled on the Aramaic and the Phoenician.
0: Yeah, that's an uh, that's an unattested, uh statement. It's a guess. Correct. And uh, and uh, you know if you look at how they have. Uh, Claim the evolution. If you if you make sufficient changes to a symbol like four or five stages of changes, you can derive any script from any other script. But if you look at the Indus symbols and the Brahmi symbols, you don't have to do any changes. They are pretty much identical with this minor rotation and so on.
2: Is it I'm working or help trying to help Dr. Kalyan Ramanji at, in Chennai, who's done a great job in deciphering of Indus Valley script. Are you in touch with him by any chance?
0: We have tweeted on, uh, you know, we have tweeted at each other. Yes.
2: Okay. Just wanted to know. I'm trying to look, find some people on artificial intelligence and machine learning who could help him decipher because he has already done about eight thousand words of the, of the, Indus Valley. uh, You know script so is it uh so i'm trying to see if there's somebody out there who's interested in that
0: right so uh kalyan's uh decipherment is logographic and as i said he looks at a thing and says oh this is a this is a hoof and it sounds like this therefore it sounds like thin so this this kind of stuff is completely non-falsifiable and it's very arbitrary and anyone could claim that anything looks like anything and that that anything sounds like something else and therefore that stands for the symbol so this such a such a decipherment has no value without a rosetta stone which confirms that this symbol uh, you know is the same value because of uh, it is written into common language so I, i i would you know that's not an approach that i find
1: is scientific